This essay is from Cinema Year Zero. You can find us at cinemayearzero.com or on Twitter and Instagram at Year Zero Cinema. Regarding the pain of others. Devastation through the eyes of the oppressors in Me and the Cult Leader and the Viewing Booth by Katriona Mahmood. 2020 has been an unprecedented time for reflection and engagement with movements aimed to tackle structural inequality. Beliefs are simultaneously being developed and dismantled. In the UK, for example, Black Lives Matter's calls for immediate structural change coincided with a renewed seeking of value in the essential work of those considered to be on the front line. Regrettably, both are arguably forgotten outside the new cycle of a global crisis. Despite being filled before our current climate of reflection and restructure, an urge to bring awareness to the oppressed and broaden our understanding of sex has been explored in two of the summer's festival favourites, Me and the Cult Leader and The Viewing Booth. Both films feature a singular focus on subjects that hold beliefs drastically different to that of their documentarian. Premiering at Sheffield Dockfest, Atsushi Sakahara's debut feature, Agonai, Me and the Cult Leader, a modern report on the banality of evil, has a title that seems to definitively conclude that the subject of the film, Hiroshi Araki, is evil and should be perceived that way by the viewer. Me and the Cult Leader begins with a quote from the Japanese constitution. The freedom of thought and conscience shall not be violated. Sakahara then delves into the psyche of an executive and PR representative of Aleph, formerly known as Am Shinrikyo, the cult made famous for leading the Tokyo sarin gas terrorist attack in 1994. As Sakahara makes clear, the quote's role is a reminder for viewers that, while actions can be made legal and illegal, thoughts should be decided with agency and not on your behalf. Sakahara, who features throughout, is himself a victim of the attack, who travels with Hiroshi across Japan. We can assume from the reference to trauma and PTSD that he hopes to unpack and find some form of closure for the incident that has so clearly shaped his life until this point. What surprises Sakahara, Hiroshi, and possibly even the viewer is the closely aligned upbringings of both subject and filmmaker. At points, it can be fair to say that they develop some semblance of a friendship, despite one being the root cause of the other's lifelong physical and mental health deterioration. The viewing booth similarly sees its subject and filmmaker develop a relationship, but one that is based on an attempt to calculate and understand one another's differing perspectives. Ra'anan Alexandrowitz directs a revealing interaction between himself and Maya Levi, a young Israeli-American woman, as she watches footage produced by Jerusalem-based anti-occupation group B'Tselem. Alexandrowitz himself, also Israeli and ex-IDF, frequently prompts Maya to describe her often cynical and disengaged thoughts on watching Israeli soldiers brutally mistreat Palestinians, like a perverted horror show version of Gogglebox. What links these films, other than their commentary on the relationship between filmmaker and subject, is the investigation into ways to dismantle deeply rooted beliefs within an audience or individual, often held so tightly that, despite data convergence making information readily available for access and consumption, Individuals can find themselves maintaining personal opinion through only seeking information that complements their existing values. The cyclical method of feeding one's own beliefs creates a systemic denial of concepts that could alter the personal perspectives of our subjects, trapping Maya and Hiroshi within their own Bordeauxian habitus. Sakahara and Alexander Wintz's subjects hold beliefs that are likely contrary to the viewers of each respective film. Sandrowitz poignantly states to Maya, I remember looking at you and thinking that this is the person I want to make films for. 
expressing that he doesn't see the point in making films about the Palestinian occupation for those who are already against it. Maya retorts by saying she's making active choices when challenged about the way she views Bitzelem footage. If not, what would I say? It wouldn't be my opinion then. While we see glimpses of Maya personally questioning her own belief system, she regularly falls back into seeking the safety of her familiar and predetermined gaze to justify any emotional reaction to what she's seeing on screen. At one point, she deflects by remarking on Alexandra Witz's filmmaking tools and decisions, indicating that he also makes choices. By deciding on her portrayal, she is under his gaze and has no control over it. This challenge of control is also presented to Hiroshi. In a particularly moving scene, he silently cries as the film crew find themselves at the train station, where he would visit his late grandmother as a young man. Here we're presented with one of the first vulnerable and humanising instances of Hiroshi, who, until now, was merely the representative of a disgraced sect of Japanese society. Along with Maya's observations on gays, scenes such as these were chosen to be kept in both films, creating an unexpected multidimensional understanding that both these subjects are in fact only human, as Maya aptly mentions. As a viewer, we like to think we choose whether to emphasise or not with a character, but these films successfully show that identification can be readily found outside our comfort zones, giving a new understanding of the role a documentary has in shaping opinion. These documentaries are deeply confessional for both their subjects and filmmakers. They reflectively reveal, process and attempt to heal by dismantling the belief systems of those involved in filmmaking and the audience watching this unfold. Each subject is forced to confront and regard the pain of others. And while Hiroshi and Maya may not directly be involved in their community or heritage's infliction of this pain, we see emerging realisations of personal responsibility in each. The of these individuals is ultimately made possible through the integral moments of sincere emotional expression. While this earnestness is invaluable to gain understanding of those with such potentially differing opinions to that of the viewer, unfortunately there are issues inherent to these methods. Face the Brechtian issue of performative response in each subject. On one hand, Hiroshi is literally being interviewed as a PR representative of a disgraced organisation, hoping to improve their public perception. And on the other, Maya remarks upon being aware of the context of the film studio. This leaves it to the audience to optimistically trust the filmmakers to present an unbiased truth. However, they too are only human and choose to verbally challenge their subject's beliefs, satisfying the viewer but not necessarily leading to any conclusions of right and wrong. The subjects involved do certainly come out of each film with a more sympathetic understanding of others with different beliefs to themselves, but remain unable to admit any guilt or responsibility for the tragedies they're associated with. While we don't necessarily know what becomes of Hiroshi and Maya, we do know this experience will have made them question themselves, as well as gain perspective on the responsibility of the roles they play in others' lives. This, in effect, will hopefully allow the viewer to reflect on their own approaches to the acceptance of changing one's own mind and thereby bringing a self-awareness to everything that we do or believe can in turn have a cause and effect. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please consider donating to our Ko-fi at ko-fi.com slash cinema year zero. That's ko-fi.com slash cinema year zero.